welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. Blink of an Eye Nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SCI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma, who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com. On today's Dear Louise episode, I have the honor of introducing you to Fletcher Cleves, spinal cord injured in 2009 with quadriplegia and his remarkable trauma to resilience journey, which has taken him around the world, parachuting out of airplanes to scuba diving with big fish, despite his paralysis. Fletcher is a Memphis native, has a powerful story of resilience and triumph. Paralyzed from the chest down in a car accident caused by a distracted driver, Fletcher faced the challenge of starting his life anew. Despite the setbacks, Fletcher pursued his education, earning a degree in computer science from the University of Memphis. He now shares his journey through public speaking engagements, promoting safe driving, and inspiring others to overcome adversity. Through his story, Fletcher empowers people to persevere and pursue their dreams. 
You can find more about Fletcher at FletcherCleaves.com. Welcome, Fletcher. Hola, how's it going? How are you? Glad to be here. So excited. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. You know, I'm I'm wondering with your background and so honored that you're here with us on the Blink of an Eye show, if you could give us a sense of who you are. Absolutely. It's going to be hard to put it in words. One of those things that you just got to experience place to understand who he is. But definitely, as a brief synopsis, um, I'm a very outgoing individual. I hate to be told no when it comes to things I want to accomplish. I think that mentality has always fueled my fire throughout my journey, even as a little boy. Uh, my parents always told me that, you know, the worst thing you can do is tell Fletcher he can't do something or don't do something. You know, the infamous don't touch the stove, it's too hot. I'm like, mm, you just don't want me to touch it because it's fun, isn't it? Well, you know, of course, you realize it's hot. I'm like, oh, you're right. Sorry, it is hot. Uh, so that mentality had fueled my uh, drive since my car crash in 2009. Mm. I share that with you about being told in art shows and museums my entire life, don't touch because I just want to get close up to something that's really beautiful and interesting. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you have such a beautiful smile. And if our listeners could see you, it's just a, a grin from ear to ear. You know, what What brings uh, that kind of fuel in your life today that you can be smiling so brightly? Um, different aspects, so to speak, but I always credit the way I am and the way I think to my support system. Uh, growing up in a two-parent household, both of my parents believed in me tremendously and always made sure I had the right tools to be successful. Even when, that, when my car crash happened in 2009, they continued that journey of pushing me and making sure I had the right tools to be successful throughout my injury. And I use that fire to not only give up on myself, but not give up on them because I had sacrificed so much for me to be where I am today that I felt like if I gave up or if I didn't uh, try my best to fuel my fire or give it my all, it would be a disgrace to them. So my support system, mm -hmm. when it comes to my parents, my grandparents, my friends, my family, I just was such an outgoing individual and I, have so many friends that believe in me and always had my back even before uh, the car crash. It is quite amazing how powerful it is to be surrounded by people who do believe in you. And so many people don't have two parents who believe in them. And you not only have two parents who believe in you, you are surrounded by a whole flock or a tribe mm -hmm. or a group uh, of people. For sure. You know, You've just shared something real interesting to me about how you don't want them to give up on you and you don't want to give up on them because of all that they've sacrificed. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, so it's not that I don't want them to give up on me. It's that they haven't gave up on me. So it's like uh, mm. whether I want to or whether I wanted them to give up or not, my friends and family refuse to uh, give up on me or be told that I can't do something. Being named the superlative of most athletic in my high school my senior year and being on various football teams and kind of labeled as the popular kid, uh, this transition, this journey has kept my friends around. So I still have I still have friends I still talk to to this day that I've been knowing since the second grade. You know, so what that means to me to answer your question wholeheartedly is that when people invest so much on you, you owe them the minimal of 
trying your hardest. And I feel like they've invested so much in me that I'm going to continuously give it my all. As so many scenarios that I can label from pre-accident or pre-crash to post-crash where, you know, my friends, I just give a few off the top of my head. We were going to a party in college and they forgot to tell us that this party was on the third floor of the apartment building with no elevator. So I was like, well, looks like we're not going to the party. And they were like, what? No, Fletch, we going, you know? We're gonna go. Somebody grab his chair. I'm gonna pick him up, and we're gonna go up there because we're gonna we're gonna allow you to experience the things we want you to experience. Like, okay, Flakes, you might be disabled, but you're not gonna just sit at home and you know on the, on the third, third floor. floor. My football friends and my, you know, my grade school friends, they figured it out, and it's that type of energy that made me like, hey, I gotta try my hardest because these people are continuously doing so much for me, and even my parents. You know, where whether before I was driving. Um, alternating, picking me up, waking up at five in the morning to get me dressed for 8 a.m. class. And my mother would take me to school. Uh, then my dad would come up there on his lunch break and pick me up. And then he would take me to my mother's job. And then she would, on her lunch break, she would take me home. And like all that sacrifice that they've done for me, I'm like, I, I have to graduate. I have to give it my all. I have to be successful because I, my parents have, and everybody in my life has just sacrificed so much. You know, it's powerful too, isn't it? When we think how each of us can be someone like your parent or one of your parents or one of those, you know, second grade friends or current friends who sacrifices and has such an impact that it motivates somebody else who feels like, you know, you invested in me like that. I'm going to pay it back. I'm going to, I owe this to you to keep that's going. The, that's the least I can do is try. Mm, mm, mm. It's something that I think of and call relational reciprocity. Mm, okay. You know, this, this very conscious impact sure. that we have on each other with the quality of what we do and our interactions with each other. Mm. And you're a living example of the outcomes of relational reciprocity. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's really beautiful. You know, as an athlete, Playing football, I imagine that wasn't the only sport you played, but having so many others uh, on teams who seem to have not left you, still be by your side and your friendship circle. Was there anything about sports? I've always wondered about this because mm -hmm. our son Archer mm -hmm. was an athlete and I actually have five children okay. and they're all athletic and been on numerous sports teams, often many years, all five of them playing three sports. You know, it's been a three ring circus at the Sempt household over the years. But I've often reflected on the quality of, of sportsmanship, but also most importantly, being on a team, mm -hmm. uh, working hard, not always winning, and what that actually means and has contributed to someone who survives and thrives with spinal cord injury. Can we talk about that? You're right. Well, first off, you were correct. I played multiple sports in middle school. In my ninth grade year, I played basketball and football. But uh, 10th grade year, I kind of was like, you know, mm, basketball's not for me. So I just, I love football and I just focus on that. But Football being an 11-man game, the ultimate team sport where there's so many moving parts that it holds you accountable. You know, if the front line doesn't block and the quarterback can't pass, if the receiver, if the quarterback doesn't pass right, then receiver can't catch it. You know, there's so many different moving parts that it holds each other accountable. And that transitioned to my adulthood after I was playing, where I held myself accountable and was knowing that, hey, Fletch, 
you got to be the best that you can be. You might be in a situation right now, but you're not going to give up. College has always held that mentality that the next man up, the next man up, you know, somebody gets hurt, the next man up. And my high school football coach, Coach John Dowden out of Memphis, Tennessee, he used to say, the person who says they can and the person who says they can't are both right. Which one will you be? Basically, don't defeat yourself. Say you can, believe in yourself. This is a team sport. We're relying on you, Flit, you know, or whomever he's speaking to at the moment. And I use that mentality to continuously, even in college. I was like, hey, I'm not going to give up on this test. I'm not going to give up pushing three miles down the road to, you know, the next location. Just so many things that I accomplished throughout my disabled part of my life was contested to that mentality I learned in football. Um, and some of it yeah. my parents aren't too happy about. They say, you know, Fletch is, <laughs> Fletch is a crazy kid. He's going to always try. And like I said, the person says they can't, the person says they can't are both right. So I realize I can't do it once I at least attempt it. I would never say I can't do something if I've never tried to do it, as long as it's safe. I've done a lot of things that aren't necessarily normalized in the wheelchair community, so to speak. And I love that about me. Yeah, well, like, like what? Like what kinds of things have you done that are not necessarily normalized in the spinal cord injury community? I was thrown off a cenote in Mexico into a natural uh, sinkhole full of water. Well, just hold on. Let's just pause right there. <laughs> First of all, you got to Mexico from Memphis. For sure. I want to go for my <laughs> I want to but... hear about that. And then you were thrown off a cenote? Yes, yeah, cenote. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Tell us what a cenote is. Uh, basically, it's just a natural sinkhole um, filled with natural water where, you know, like, like cliff jumping, basically. But they built a tourist attraction around it, allow people to do it safely. Like I said, we go to Mexico for my 30th birthday and we're having a fantastic time. You know, Mexico is not the most ADA accessible country, so to speak. So we go to these different attractions and my friends are picking me up on boats and doing a lot to make sure I enjoy and have a great time. And the last excursion was the cenote. And it was like, hey, you know, it's unfortunately it's not wheelchair accessible. And we laughed and was like, no, it's not wheelchair accessible to you. Like, we're going to figure it out. And so the largest one, it was, if I had to guess, maybe 15, 20 feet in there. And my, one of my great friends was like, all right, Fletch, you know, I'm going to carry you up these steps, but you sure you want to do it? Because once I carry you up, there's only one way down. I'm not bringing you back down. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. So we just tra- attached a life jacket. A couple of um, staff members got in the water. So a couple of my friends got in the water as well. So there's about five or six people waiting in the water. And my friend on three, there's a video of it on my Instagram page and on my website, I, I believe. I and saw it. You are three. amazing. I didn't realize that's what that was called. And you are just exactly mm-hmm. flying through the air again with that beautiful smile on your face. For sure. What was it like? It was exhilarating. It was so much fun to see something that you've seen on TV and get to experience that despite having a disability. You know, I just could imagine people who don't have my support system or my mindset just seeing this stuff and just automatically thinking, like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, nope, I can. Yeah. And I'm going to show you that you can. And that's why I love being a vessel for other people with disabilities. And uh, to piggyback on that, I've been skydiving before. Um, in my earlier injury, before I was driving, this is one of the more crazier ones. I was in college and my parents dropped me off for school. But I guess I didn't check my this email. This was b- before injury? Uh, this was post-injury. Before post. It was pre-injury mm-hmm. or not pre-injury early on in my injury and 
Uh, we get my parents dropped down for school at like eight in the morning. I guess I didn't check my email, but long story short, class was canceled. So my mom was like, well, I can't come pick you up to my lunch break at one o'clock. So man, you just got to find something to do. And I was like, eight to one. That's a long time just sitting around. One of my close friends worked about three miles down the road. So I was like, wait here for, you know, four or five hours. Or do I try to make a three-mile journey throughout the city? And I was like, never know until you do it, Flitch. So I'm literally pushing my way through city, through like the city, and there's so many different obstacles, and it was very challenging mentally and physically. Uh, going down the curb, and then you get to you go up a curb cut, and then you go down about a hundred yards, and then there's no end curb cut. So it was like, now what yeah. do I do? So I have to turn around, go back a hundred yards backwards back down where I came from, go off the same curb that I came up, and then go up the side of the street parallel to the curb. There's so many obstacles like that, tires in the middle of the street. Fletch, I just want to pause you on that and mm -hmm. remember where you were, because I think that so many listeners or people who are interested in those living with spinal cord injury to be inspired don't realize the everyday constant struggles and just about, not just, you know, Mexico, not necessarily being very ADA, you know, compliant, like with our laws in the U.S., but here in the mm -hmm. U.S., that curb cuts that don't exist, that don't line up, that where the snow hasn't been shoveled and the leaves haven't been moved Absolutely. and the mud is, you know, thick and the cars are I mean, trees splashing uprooting, you. Uproot, uh, uprooting sidewalks. Yes, trees uprooting sidewalks. Exactly. Terrible. It's terrible. It's really constant. But you were on your path with these five hours to kill, if you will, from mm -hmm. eight to one, figuring out what you were going to do. And um, there you were going three miles. And were you in a power chair? No, I'm in a, well, it's called power assist. So it's a manual assisted chair. So my wheels have a motor in it, but it's not, it's not as easy as you think. I have to push it, but it propels my push by like 50%. So. It's very, it's still very, especially with me being a quadriplegic, I don't have a full range of my upper body, like a paraplegic that has their entire body. It still might be difficult, but it would be like the curb cut situation. A para could just probably just pop off and just, you know, I'm be fine. Quadriplegic, I just don't have that mobility to do that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, an important distinction. For sure. You know, for people to realize that the difference between a paraplegic and a tetraplegic is really uh, huge. Absolutely. Uh, because of the inability of the upper body and the arms and the hands. Abs, balance, you yeah, know, all this stuff. Abs, balance, all of it. Interstitial mm -hmm. muscles, all of it. Digital finger movement, you know, stuff like that. I just, I didn't, I refuse not to give up. Yeah, well, so that day you mm -hmm. said, mm, maybe I can't, but I'm Fletch and I'm going to like push and to see if I, right. if I can't. And if I can't, it'll just be today. <laughs> I thought about quitting. Multiple days, I passed like Applebee's. I was like, you know what? I'll just go to this Applebee's and just get me some water and just wait. It's so I'm so tired. But then I started realizing, like, no, dude, like you started this journey. You got to finish. So I like, nope, I'm not stopping. Once I stop, I know it's gonna be hard to start again. So I'm going down. I'm going through residential parts of the city and people leaving their garbage cans in the middle of the sidewalk. And I'm kind of struggling, trying to knock over garbage cans out the way and tires in the middle of the street and curb cuts and all that stuff. And eventually uh, it took me two and a half hours and I made it. 
and I made it. Wow, two and a half hours for three miles, but Mm -hmm. you made it. My friend was like, I was like, hey, what are you doing? I was like, "Uh, I'm almost to your job. She was like, are you you really almost here? (laughs) Like, Fletcher, that was so dangerous. And I took videos and pictures throughout, and I posted on my Facebook years ago. But uh, it was a, it was a journey. It was a journey. Yeah. So that it's a story clearly that's important for you. How come? Uh, that story is important to me because that was one of the first times that I really just pushed myself to the complete max. Uh, I had been in therapy probably a year. Uh, I'm, well, I missed a first year of college due to therapy. I was in therapy a complete year, but they pushed me all the time. Where I was, the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, it's made for people in wheelchairs. So even though they pushed me to a tremendous extent, they still wasn't, I always had them to rely on. If I did, if I couldn't do it, they were always going to help me out or catch my back or whatever the case may be. So this was the first time, or one of the first times I can remember of a real life scenario with no help, just me in a real world in the city, overcoming obstacles that aren't made for people in wheelchairs, you know, stuff like that. And I, and I did it. And I was so, I was so happy for myself. Oh, I'm, I'm vicariously happy for you, even all these years later, because energetically, you know, time doesn't know uh, the human time, the human factor. It's all happening mm-hmm. right now. So for great, sure. great glory on that, that day in this moment. I can imagine with uh, the pushing through, uh, I can do this attitude and the modeling that you have become a really beautiful, amazing public speaker. Can you tell us about what it is that you speak about? Yes, I have been blessed enough to perfect my craft into a business, and I love doing it. I love doing it. Um, it started out just at local YMCA's for, hey, Fletch, you went back to college. Can you just come to this group of small kids and discuss what was it like? How didn't you give up And when you were in therapy? Like, sure. I'm 20 years old. I'm 21. Yeah, I talked to some high schoolers. And, you know, I did that a couple of times and it was, hey, can you come to my church and discuss how faith played a part in your uh, in your journey and overcoming adversity? Absolutely. I did that a couple of times. And it was, can you come to our football team and talk about how it was being an athlete? I'm like, perfect. I'll do that. And then it's uh, constantly doing it on different avenues. It evolved into what it is today. And I mainly speak about, number one, safe driving. Uh, for those that don't know, my car crash was caused by a lady texting and driving and was not paying attention uh, behind the wheel. So I'll talk about distracted driving and safe driving and making the right choices in life. I'll talk about the importance of education to athlete, knowing that your sport is not gonna last forever. You know, father time is undefeated. You're gonna have to get a job at some point, you know, <laughs> and for those that aren't blessed enough to make a career in professional sports, which is majority of everybody. Talk about faith and perseverance uh, and how, like I said, mentioned that faith played a big part in making my journey what it is today. And overcoming adversity, because I mentioned those are my five, uh, four or five main topics I speak about. But I'm open to speaking about many different topics. I've done uh, bullying before, but it's not something I prevalently uh, speak about. But I love just giving general motivation. I've spoken to tech companies uh, that are involved in fleet companies that are involved in driving and having roads on the, uh, having vehicles on the road. Talking about safe driving. I, I, lo- I have so many avenues that I've been blessed to share my story upon and traveling as well. I'm starting to get more so in the travel industry and talk about uh, disability inclusion in the travel industry, whether it's hotels or excursions or airplanes or airlines or everything. You know, this path 
of how one door opens, you know, hey, Fletch, will you come talk to these little kids? And then how it just builds. What's the business look like today for you as a public speaker? Um, you know, I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm going to be completely honest. That's one thing I love about myself. So I've been doing it part time for about eight, nine years. But my main job was I worked in IT with my computer science degree. And, you know, of course, when you graduate, it was always graduate, get a job. So I got a job uh, at AutoZone headquarters working in IT for a tremendous company. And I kind of spoke on the side here and there whenever I, but I never really full forced it because I always had that IT salary to rely on. But most recently, due to the economy and things, I left AutoZone for a better opportunity. But unfortunately, I was let go from that job due to budget cuts. Mm. And that kind of forced me to speak full time. And it, it was like, you know what, Fletch, you've been asking yourself, why aren't you doing this full time? You've been praying for the opportunity to do it full time. But it wasn't the ideal situation to make it full time by being let go to do the budget because this is the opportunity you've been asking for because you've been speaking for nine or 10 years. And, you know, it's always I'm next year I'm going to try full time. Next year I'm going to try full time. And you blink your eye and you've been at the company 10 years. Right. And it's just having that comfortability of having the secureness of an IT salary and uh, benefits and all that stuff that you're kind of skeptical of moving away from. But once I was let go, I kind of used that opportunity to, all right, this is the opportunity that you've been blessed with, you know, whether it hasn't been the ideal way that you mentioned, or do you would think that would come about, uh, use this to take advantage. And this just happened this past February. So I'm still kind of new. I'm still kind of navigating the ups and downs of a complete entrepreneurship with saving and trying to continuously work to keep my schedule filled. Uh, but I haven't missed a meal yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm working towards it. All right. Well, tell us about some of the notable appearances and events where you have shared your story and promoted your message. Um, I don't want a single one, you know, particularly because I love all speeches I give, but I've been blessed enough to travel to California, to New York, actually go to New York next Thursday, actually, uh, to New York, to Texas, to Florida, all across Tennessee, all across the Mid-South. So I, I love all high school, colleges, companies sports teams, college teams. I've just, I love it. I love meeting new people and being that vessel that can encourage people to overcome adversity. I've gotten so many tremendous emails and uh, text messages and blog comments and social media comments that kind of almost brought me to tears when a lady was going through stage four cancer and she saw my AT&T commercial in the hospital and she realized that, hey, this kid can go through what he's going through. I can continuously fight through this cancer battle. Um, yeah. I gave a presentation at a high school and the principal walked up to me after and said, hey, uh, a couple of kids were crying in the back when we were talking about what you've been through and how you chose not to give up. And that no matter what you're going through in life, uh, don't let your current circumstance dictate your future. So you may be depressed right now or you may be going through hardship or you may be going through a divorce or whatever the case may be. Don't let this dictate your future. And she told me that and three kids were battling mental health problems. And they say that Fletcher made me realize that I need to overcome what I'm going through right now. I'm being abused at home. I've been contemplating suicide. And I was like, wow, my 60 minute presentation can help somebody overcome that. And uh, it just, it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. I can only imagine. And just the power of one person's story and the ripple effects, you never know 
a life that can change. And we can never, ever tire of inspirational stories. So thank you for doing that and for oh, all those you. young people whose lives you are impacting and older people, and, right? Uh, and yeah. older, older people. Older, older kind of people. Thing. Season, as we call it down south. Seasoned, indeed. That is a beautiful way of, of referring to our older generation. And I'm wondering, too, this message of yours, and you have mentioned to us a couple times about your faith and your recognition that it's easy to get discouraged. Do you bring your faith to the front of your speeches and your talks, or is that no. something that's more private for you? No, I'm open to if that's what's desired, if that's what the main message may be. I always mention it a, a little bit, but I don't, you know, go in depth about it because, you know, just I'm just skeptical about different schools and separation of church and state and all that stuff. And so I don't want to, you know, with the cancer culture going around right now, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And a kid realize that well, his Fletcher's faith is not the right, he Fletcher priest's faith, whatever the case may be, but... If that is what is desired at the beginning of the initial conversation of the presentation, I would definitely hit on it. Uh, I've gotten situations where, you know, it was necessarily not a Christian school and they asked me not to mention faith. And I was like, that's what you would like. But I know where my heart lies and I know who helped me through this tremendous time, whether I shouted or not. I call, I refer to God as Big G. Uh, Big G knows that my heart's desire and he knows and I know what he's done for me. So whether I mention it or not, it's a great focal point in my life and just not giving up and realizing there's a greater purpose. I was kept here for a reason, you know, because a lot of people are in car crashes that don't survive. And I was blessed enough to survive. And I only survived. I was blessed enough to not have a mental disability or brain injury. And I was, you know, asking so many thankful situations that I wasn't paralyzed from the neck down. Or I didn't lose my eyesight or knock my teeth out or anything like that. Uh, so I'm just thankful and realizing that I have a greater purpose now. Mm. It's very inspiring. I would imagine, I think of our own family with Archer, but for anyone who is so catastrophically injured to then count your blessings when you realize I lived for a reason, mm. you know, in any human being, you know, what's the, what's the soul's path? But to really be reminded of that when you lose so much that you had when your spinal cord injured, to say, no, I, I am here for a reason. That's mm -hmm. uh, it's quite amazing. You know, we have in the nonprofit, Blink of an Eye nonprofit, we really believe in the three-legged stool approach to trauma and trauma healing okay. and support, you know, of those around us, which you've already touched on is huge and they can, they can give us awareness and can expand, you know, our field and faith is an absolute um, critical component and something that's actually now been studied, if you will. And we might say, well, <laughs> we've known it, you know, throughout the eons mm -hmm. about a belief in something that's larger than we are, whether one is, you know, Christian or Jew or, or Muslim, mm -hmm. we, there's so many, um, beautiful traditions that Absolutely. acknowledge divinity, something larger. And I love experiencing different cultures when I travel across the world, whether it's Muslim culture or, you know. So my thing is, you know, I, I don't want to push my religion down anyone's throat, but as long as you believe in something, a higher being, that's, you got to understand that this is all not just, didn't just happen. Yeah, we've really, we've been learning through Blink of an Eye that even with 
um, you know, the support of friends and family, and then even with really excellent medical care, like you were at the Shepherd Center, we were mm-hmm. too, and, and other places, those two together can get you so far. But it, it's this third component of really believing what you can't see, mm-hmm. uh, believing what is possible that really creates uh, a life worth living, not just a life of surviving. And sure. you are living that life, Fletcher. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm not sure what your religion is, but let me ask you this. Do you like experiencing different cultures, religion, or not necessarily practicing their beliefs, but, you know, uh, Judaism or, you know, or Muslim or whatever, just like, hey, this is a like Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, just eating different cultured food or going to a bar mitzvah or something like that. It's one of my most favorite things to do. I'm Catholic by background and by practice. Mm -hmm. And indeed, the more I experience friends, colleagues, strangers, their practices, their traditions, the more expansive I feel that my life becomes and the deeper my relationship with with God and Jesus becomes. And the more I really cling to my own faith because it's this quality of becoming almost more expansive that Mm -hmm. I can get even more deeply rooted. How about for you? I agree. I love it as well. This, you know, traveling the world and, you know, this is a traditional uh, Jewish meal. This is a traditional African meal, whatever the case may be. I I love, I love doing it. It opens my eyes to, man, there's really so many different people and cultures and foods and traditions. And I'm saying that mine are right and I'm saying that theirs are wrong, but it's just eye-opening to see and feel that everything. Just I love it. For me, it brings me back to this quality that I can forget that we are really all very united, made in like the image of the divine. You know, like the rainforest. You know, we ha- we celebrate these incredible differences and and people and traditions we might not ever be able to personally experienced. We can read about them. We can see about them, if you will. But it just expands, I think, our sense of we're very small, which is very humbling and yes. very purposeful, right? We're, we're here for a reason. You know, every, every unique tradition is, is needed and necessary. Absolutely. Because the true diversity of everybody don't the same. Exactly. In fact, um, (laughs) we really wouldn't be alive if everything were the same, right? We need all the cross-pollination and cross-ideas and all the other kinds of things that happen when we engage in these ways. Well, you know, you're making me think of the moniker that I think has either been given to you or that you have claimed for yourself of the wheelchair nomad. Mm -hmm. I imagine that uh, that wheelchair nomad has taken you many places that you've already mentioned, but where'd the name Wheelchair Nomad come from? Uh, The name Wheelchair Nomad, so I'm in a lot of travel groups on Facebook and social media. And just me being silly, like I just constantly, while I was constantly posting things, because whether I was doing road trips or going to Mardi Gras or going to the Taste of Chicago or going to Paris or going to Rome, I was just constantly posting these things. And people were always leaving these comments. I'm getting like 10,000, 30,000 likes. 6,000 comments. And a lot of these comments was like, man, this dude's like no man. He's everywhere. Every time I look up, it's a new post about him. And every time I look up, he's in, new, in a new city. He's like, he's like a no man. I, I saw that so many times. 
And I just being silly, I'm like, yeah, I'm a nomad. I'm like the the wheelchair nomad. I'm I'm a, I'm a wheelchair nomad. I'm a disabled nomad, you know. And then just the I kind I kept just the wheelchair nomad jokingly, and somebody referred to it. I, this is how I knew it really stuck. I was in the Taste of Chicago, and we were getting out. My friend was getting me out the car. We were going to a nightclub. So we're going to a nightclub. So he puts he rolls to the front of the nightclub. Puts takes my chair out, picks me out my chair, puts me in my chair. You know, I get strapped in. I'm getting my clothes together. I'm getting ready to get in line and get to the nightclub. And when I'm in there, and so, this lady walks up to me and says, "Excuse me." I was like, "Yes, ma'am." She was like, "Are you the wheelchair nomad?" I was like, "How did you know that?" And she was like, "I have seen your post so many times." I'm like, "I'm way in Chicago at, at 10 o'clock at night at a random nightclub." And somebody, once that happened, I was like, yeah, I got to keep it going. So from that point on, I was like, I'm the wheelchair nomad. I just love it. And, and well, well deserved. You know, I'm wondering, goodness gracious, with all the traveling that you do, Fletch, what does a day in the life of traveling look like for someone who's living with a quadriplegia, tetraplegia? So if I have a travel day, if I'm flying or road tripping, the one thing that people don't realize is how early people with disabilities have to get up. So, yeah. you know, somebody who may be able-bodied for, let's say, a 6 a.m. flight, you know, you can wake up at 4.30, get dressed in 30 minutes, shower, whatever, leave the house at 5, find available parking, run up, run to the terminal. Uh, for me, this is why I, I count on people so much and I try to surround myself with people that care. My day starts with somebody getting me dressed. So no matter what I do, whether it's a wedding, a funeral, a flight, or whatever, if that person's late, it throws my entire day off. So I have to have someone I can truly trust that, hey, I have a 6 a.m. flight. I put a little leeway just in case that person's running late. So because I'd rather be super early than miss a flight or whatever, or miss some life-changing event, a wedding, or something that's only once in a lifetime. I would rather be extremely earlier than that. So if it's a 6 a.m. flight, I'm waking up probably like 2.45. Well, I'm telling the person to be there at 2.45. And, you know, when it's 2.45, I give them a little leeway, like, okay, I said 2.45, but I really need them here before 3.15. Like, oh, that's really crunch time. And, you know, getting dressed and transferring to the shower chair and getting the shower going and them getting me dressed and then brushing my teeth and them having to help my carry my bags to my car, then I got to go. I don't, so also, I don't fly alone uh, just for safety reasons. It's for like a coronavirus situation or a 9-11 situation. If somebody, I just prefer to have somebody with me at all times. Well, you need, you need their hands too, right? Exactly, yeah. Mask for the, yeah, during for the sure. pandemic. and So my brother typically flies with me all the time. Call him my brother. We've been doing to us since the second grade. I'm actually an only child. But uh, it's one of those friends I've been doing since the second grade. I'm 32 years old now. Uh, so let's say he oversleeps. Yeah. And so I'm calling him. He's not answering. It's just so many moving parts. And, and even the quote unquote calling him, right? You're probably yeah. like voicing him in some way. What do you use like Alexa, Siri? If I'm in a place by myself, I'll just, hey, Siri, and she'll answer. But I can like manipulate my hands to kind of type and I can text. And I can uh, dial if I'm in a quiet place or a library or something like that. What about if you're in bed in the morning? Yeah, I, I sleep in my phone right next to me mm-hmm. for safety mm-hmm. reasons also. Yeah, right. Uh, right. So, but I, I can transfer myself in and out of my chair. 
So I was labeled as a high functioning ah. quadriplegic. I see. What, what's your level? Uh, C5, C6. C5, C6. Um, incomplete? No, complete. Complete? Yes, ma'am. So you also need someone to come in the morning, take care. I mean, the classic bowel and bladder that people yep, have just, yep. they just well, really forget I can't about take care of my own bladder, but bowel training. Yes. I need someone to do that. So there's so many different moving parts. So I'm waking yeah. up, at, I'm telling them to be there at 245. I'll give 10 minutes just in case they're late. The whole process of getting ready, taking my suitcase down 10 minutes, just in case my brother oversleeps or whatever. And then I get to the airport at four o'clock or, or 6 a.m. flight and not knowing. So just be mindful when you see somebody with a disability, whether especially early flights, they probably woke up three hours before you did just because they have a disability. So, you know, yeah. not that that's an excuse, but it's just, it's a long day. It's a long day. Yeah, no, it, it's an awareness, really, as mm -hmm. we're all learning and others are learning about uh, what it's like for people living with spinal cord injury, living these amazing, extraordinary lives mm -hmm. and all the calculating that goes in to a plan, uh, much more so than the kind of planning that even our monkey minds might do mm -hmm. when we're like really over and over, you know, as the monks would say in the Buddhist mm -hmm. tradition, monkey mind, right? All these different thoughts and ideas. But for someone who is spinal cord injured, um, the sure. incredible logistical planning that is on top of exactly. all that. There's so many moving parts, so many people I depend on to make sure that I'm successful. There's just some lack of a better term, uh, not so generous people out there in the world some buttholes, so to speak. I have so many situations when it comes to like airport parking or Walmart parking. For those people who, okay, you have two handicapped spots, right? And the, that little space in between those two spots that is striped, that's for people's for their room to get out and they can have space. People who park there, I think should uh, have their cars towed or have their tires slashed. Or, like, why would you park there? That's not even a parking spot. So now I'm at the airport or I'm at Walmart. I can't get in my vehicle because this jabroni <laughs> has parked there. But I have to leave my car there and I have to come back every two, three days to see if that person's gone yet. And it's just a, I'm, I already woke up at 2.30 this morning and now I'm already picked off. So just stuff like that, just be mindful of people with disabilities, please. Yeah. I mean, let's just, let's just pause and do a little shout out for all the people who pay attention to that blue painted striped area in a handicap space. And that you might think, well, there's the space for, you know, the van or the vehicle. Um, and then you mm -hmm. see the striped area, the, the crosshatched area. And of course that's for the lift exactly. uh, for someone to be able to get out of the vehicle. And for all those people who don't park there because they get it, they're yeah, wise um, and they're compassionate. Mm -hmm. I was going to share with you, one of our trustees on, on the board for Blink of an Eye has something that he wants us to do. And maybe you want to get involved in this, Fletch, but he wants to create little cards that any of us could have travel with in our pocketbooks or, you know, in your wheelchair backpack or whatever it is. And place it onto the windshields of various cars mm -hmm. of the drivers who park well and the drivers who don't. And basically like give them a, you know, A, B, C, mm -hmm. D, E, or, you know, no E's, but A, B, C, D, or F. And with Terrible. a little note, you know, of like, thank you. And for those who park well, we thought we'd give them like, you know, um, 
$3 Starbucks, you know, certificate or, or something like that. Yeah. And with a little thank you note. And for those who don't explain and, and give them a little picture of what that is really about, um, just to really lift the awareness. Rewarding great behavior or sometimes just cur- oh. common courtesy. Yeah, exactly. But I've had Rewarding of, great behavior. a lot of terrible situations with parking. For people to really fully understand this, what that means in terms of the additional incredible time and time that was already put into just arriving at the place. So thank you for illuminating that for us. Absolutely. And just like I said, imagine you already woke up early, you're just trying to be on time, and now you got to worry about this guy. Yeah, and especially when you've got something that is looming ahead of you positively where you're about to go and, you know, encourage others to know that it's a constant road for you. You know, I'm curious, Fletch, with the challenges that you faced from, you know, people not being on time or not being able to park where you need to and the arduous aspects of traveling and in a wheelchair and an airplane. I haven't even talked about that yet. Mm-hmm. But what what drives you to continue to inspire others and encourage them? Honestly, the things that I do or, well, let me ask you this, the things that I do or my presentations? Either one and that or both. Well, actually, let me start with the things that I do. I travel so much and I do these amazing things by skydiving. I don't do those things to motivate others. I do them for internal gratification. I'm like, hey, place, this is what you, and just what happened, it does motivate others, which is perfectly fine. Doesn't bother me at all. But I just don't want people to think like, oh, Fletch is only doing this for attention. No, I've been wanting to go skydiving forever. You know, so I do the things that I do just happen to be inspirational and motivational to other people. And what drives me to that is just the wanting a fulfilled life, wanting to not be told no, wanting to, everybody has this sense of wanting to be successful or wanting to be on the same playing field as other people. So that sense of wanting to be included is what makes me do the things that I do. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to say, I wish I would have, I wish I did a. I uh, read this quote one time that said, 50 years from now, you will regret the things you didn't do versus the things you did do. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want opportunities, you know, 50 years from now, said, I should have went skydiving when I was in my 20s. That's that. And as far as presentation, what motivates me is just knowing that my story could change one person's life. I could change a person's life, you know, tremendously. Uh, I do a lot of reading, as I mentioned. But uh, there was another thing I read in the book that said that your story could be the key to unlock someone else's prison. And, you know, like, so I'm, and if I can save lives also, just bringing awareness to distracted driving and bringing awareness to how important it is to make the right choices in life. And you're not going to always make the right choice, but make a safe choice, make a conscious choice. Just that, if I can save a handful of lives throughout this tremendous journey I've been blessed to be upon, then I think I've fulfilled my duties. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it's really beautiful. I'm also thinking that you, as an African American man, mm-hmm. might also have a particular message since it's uh, those who have become real advocates in the spinal cord injured world um, are oftentimes not of color. You are absolutely correct. There often aren't, you know, many prevalent people that are disability advocates that are people of color. There are people with disabilities that are people of color. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, maybe they don't just have the financial situation. As I mentioned, I was blessed to have a job in IT. 
which was lucrative early on in my uh, life, or they just don't have the support system with not being raised in a two-parent household or not having a lot of friends or so many things played a part in my life that allowed me to do these things. And I want to be that vessel and show that, hey, there are people of color that are doing tremendous things and also have a disability. I'm gonna give a little, a little segue into something. There's a production company that reached out to me, long story short, I forgot the name, the tallest summit in Africa. This guy is, you know, he did it a paraplegic. He climbed one of the seven summits, the tallest mountain in Africa next to Tanzania. I can't believe it's the mountains losing my thought. Hey, I was going to say Kilimanjaro. It might be. I'm not sure. I have to look it up. But so many people, you know, this guy's disability, he did it. You know, he wasn't a person of color. And these people uh, are going to visit these countries and they're not people of color. And there is this organization that is for people with disabilities in Africa. There's this village that back in like the early 90s, if you had disability, it was considered like witchcraft and you weren't of God. So they kind of shunned you out and like just left you in the woods to fend for yourself and or made you stay in the house. And this lady started this school for students with disability. Unfortunately, she passed during COVID and they're trying to raise money to for this organization. And there's so many people that's jumping in and helping and want to volunteer. But none of these people are people of color. It's all, you know, and then it's a school full of kids with disabilities. So it's like, who else better than a person of color that has a disability that does tremendous things to go to Africa and show these kids that, hey, I'm just like you. I'm a person of color and I have a disability and I chose, I chose not to give up. We're trying to put that together now. So I'm hopefully that it works out. I would love to go where looking for current donations to help during this situation, but um, we're still trying to iron out the details, but I, ho I hope it plays out because it'll be an amazing experience. A I seven, do too. eight day journey up, up a mountain to show people that, hey, you can- Fletch, what's the website that people could look up to find you in this? So we're in the early stages of developing the outline. I had to have a Zoom meeting uh, on Monday, but uh, you can always donate to my website, FletcherCleaves.com. It has a donate button. Uh, we'll once we get pictures and a pitch kit uh, laid out, we will put that on my website and it'll be there for everyone to see. So if you just follow me uh, on social media, Instagram, Rolling on Faith, no G, so R O L L I N O N F A I T H, you'll see some great news coming out soon. How beautiful! We'll have to track you on what it takes to actually make that arduous, long trip. I think it's about 18 hours in flight, a couple flights. Yeah, a couple flights, and it's a seven-day journey. Well, maybe, no, 10 days, like five up and five down. That's probably going to be the most mental. I mean, I'm excited but nervous at the same time, but like everything, person who says they can and the person who says they can are both right. I'm excited for you, too. I'm just so fascinated by your travel and autonomic dysreflexia. How does the travel impact uh, your autonomic dysreflexia, if you have any? Yeah, so I've been blessed enough not to have uh, dyslexia. Uh, as much, I probably had it maybe, I've been paralyzed 13 years. I probably had it five times. I'm like, hey, what's got to be done has got to be done. So if I know I'm going to Italy on a long flight, I'll try to limit my liquids the day before uh, at midnight. Uh, but, you know, I self-cab every, you know, pinned on maybe four to six hours just depend on my body. Those long flights, uh, my brother tends to scoot me to an aisle seat. I mean, not an aisle seat, a window seat. 
and then he'll sit in the middle or on the edge on the outside and just put a blanket up when it's time to handle my business. Yeah. And you know, just I gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta you know, do so, what so. you gotta do. And we know you've given us a taste of of Fletcher Cleves. You are a can man with a deep sense of belonging. Um before we let you go, Fletcher, what's the next chapter for Fletcher Cleves? The next chapter, as I mentioned, letting go in this IT, you know, this past February, is just figuring out how to make this business thrive for a living. And, you know, you have these scary moments where you don't have any speeches booked or don't have anything booked and you start buying your nails and applying for jobs and it's kind of nervous, but I want to just give myself an opportunity to say I tried to do it. So this is the next chapter I'm living in now. I'm just trying to continuously inspire, stay booked, stay busy, travel, great, use my wheelchair nomad platform to grade different hotels on accessibility and excursions and help get more involved in the travel community and just do it all. That everything I've ever dreamed about is right there in reach. I just got to reach for it. Thank you. Well, we've heard it today. Fletcher Cleves, the wheelchair nomad. You can find out more about Fletcher at FletcherCleves.com. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Fletch, for this marvelous time with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Mm, Take care. Thank you for joining us today as we had the privilege of hearing Fletcher Cleves' extraordinary story. From the depths of adversity, when left on the road paralyzed by a hit-and-run driver, to the heights of inspiration, Fletcher's journey reminds us of the indomitable human spirit. Through his unwavering determination, he has not only rebuilt his own life, but has touched countless others with his message of hope and perseverance. As we conclude this episode, let us carry forward Fletcher's powerful lessons of resilience, safe driving, and the pursuit of dreams. Remember, no matter what challenges we face, we have the strength within us to overcome and create a brighter future. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and join us again soon for another enlightening conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to Blink of an Eye podcast for future episodes featuring wise experts on trauma healing and remarkable individuals living with spinal cord injury in the Dear Louise series. Until next time, keep welcoming new insights and noticing shifts in your life, embracing the connection between awareness, integration, and feeling alive and connected. Begin again and again. Sending love. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.